Here we go, rejecting the screen, the going ISO edition as we do every week with all sorts of folks who touch the NBA in all sorts of ways. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Out West is Adam Stanko. And our guest today is Howard Beck, and I have been refreshing howardbeck.com on the hour for weeks. And then Kelly O'Coin, Dollar Bill from Billions, and Pastor Tim from the Americans breaks the news that Howard Beck is no longer a free agent. Howard Beck is the newest NBA writer at Sports Illustrated. So let's start there. Congratulations. Wherever you go, Howard, you are the one in sports journalism that raises all ships, no matter the outlet. So give us the how and why. Uh, Well, thank you, Noah, for that uh, very kind um, introduction. Uh, I am absolutely thrilled. my my brain is still wrapping itself around just this new reality because Sports Illustrated was like that was the pinnacle for me ever since I started down this path those many many years ago and when I was a teenager or even preteen getting into sports and and first having that that just that spark of of being a sports fan which then leads to becoming a sports journalist SI is the pinnacle man like that's always been uh, the case. And so, um, for this to finally happen, uh, is just, uh, is just phenomenal. And, um, I'm thrilled and thank you, uh, again for the kind intro and, uh, yeah, thanks to my buddy, Kelly Alcoin dollar bill for, uh, helping me break the news today. That was fun. And, uh, can't wait to get started. Um, official uh, first day officially is in fact Wednesday. So, uh, j- just in time for opening out of the NBA season next week. Well, Howard, we all grew up with Sports Illustrated. It was different then. But now with the current version of Sports Illustrated and you just starting out right before the season is about to tip off, what does it all look like? Well, I'll just say this because I don't want to uh, you know, overstep my bounds for sure. There are other people mm-hmm. who will speak to, to Sports Illustrated and its direction, um, not just this NBA season, but just in general for the magazine, for the website, for the whole enterprise, um, I think you'll be hearing a lot more than just my hire um, soon. And um, I will <laughs> leave that to uh, <laughs> the powers that be to, to um, you know, roll out and explain anything from there. But um, this is, uh, I'm, I'm one of, one of several, I believe. Um, so uh, there'll be, there'll be other announcements, I'm sure soon. And other cast members from Billions are going to be breaking that news as well. I, I think every each one has assigned their own reporter. You oh. know, when 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 do you get one? Axe will get one. You know, I, it's it's uh, you know it's it's only fair to you know, spread it around a little bit. You know, do you know what day to day will be like? I mean, listen, it'll be we'll figure that out as we go here. Um, it's obviously this is all literally just happened the you know the the official announcement i think the official announcement is not even um out there yet today but it's coming um it'll be the usual it'll be the same kind of thing i've been doing for the last seven years which is some writing some podcasting some video and an emphasis on on longer form features and and analysis and you know probably some of the the quicker hits along the way columns and and all that kind of stuff too but i think it'll be very similar to what I've been doing for the last seven years. So when you went to Bleacher Report, it it took the the organization as Bleacher Report from more fan driven to wow, here comes here comes Howard Beck. And and this is this is who we are now. And then when you left, I read a story in front office sports that a source had said that the stories the long form magazine stories that Bleacher Report did so brilliantly were not resonating as much with BR readers. I guess this is a broader journalism question then. How do you make sure that your stories resonate with readers? Or is that a combination, a com- an effort, a combined effort between writer and outlet? That's a great question. I no, I th- I think that it's probably always a combination. You know, reporters. Our job is to always be curious and analytical about whatever it is we're covering, whatever subject, whether you're a news reporter, sports writer, entertainment, whatever it is, you go out into your realm that you cover and 
you have conversations and you ask questions and then somebody, sometimes somebody just mentions something offhand and you go, Oh, well, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard anybody mention that before. I think that's a story. And you go back to your editor and you say, uh, Hey editor, um, I heard this thing the other day. I think there's actually a really good story here. What do you think? And your editor either says, yes, I think it's a great idea or eh, I think we need a little more definition to that or well, well, but what else? What does, what does this thing you just found out? What does it imply? What's, what's the greater impact for the NBA or for player empowerment or for social activism among athletes or whatever. And you flesh this out and you go out and you get the story. That's a long winded way of saying journalists by just by our, our makeup, we trust our instincts on what a great story is. And you really don't know what a great story is to the audience until it's actually out there. You can't workshop it. You can't bring together, uh, you know, a panel, uh, you know, to, to, to test it out. Um, it doesn't work that way. And in fact, traditionally, you know, before the internet age and even before the last say 10, 15 years of the internet age, you didn't even know how your story did. It went in the newspaper in my years at the New York times or at the LA daily news or wherever else it goes in the paper. If a lot of people liked it, maybe there are some phone calls, some voicemails, maybe some emails, maybe some letters to the editor. You don't know how many people read it. You just trust that if you, as the expert in your particular field or your particular area that you cover, if it's interesting to me and it's interesting to my editor, then it's interesting. <laughs> and mm -hmm. if and you hope that as many readers agree as possible. In this age, and certainly this is the case for Bleacher Report and, and pretty much everywhere now, we can measure everything, not just how many people clicked a story, but how long they spent on it, how many people got to the end. And so, yeah, you can, you can analyze it to death. You still can't predict with any certainty how many people will decide to read the, I don't know, let's say the LeBron Carmelo feature I did from five years ago. You know that that's going to hit a lot of a lot of people are going to want to click it because it's LeBron, right? And there are big names attached. So there, you can always you can always push the Le, the uh, uh, press the LeBron button, pull the LeBron lever, and know you're going to get instant clicks, I suppose. But and trust me, I know some people are cynical about this out there. Journalists do not care. We do not. The vast majority majority of us do not go into any story or any story idea with the thought of what story can I do that's going to get the most clicks? I know people love saying that, oh, it's clickbait, it's this, it's that. And back in the day when it was newspapers, people, readers would sometimes say, you're just trying to sell newspapers. That was the cry back then. Now it's, no, it's just clickbait. Well, it wasn't true then and it's not true now, at least not for me. Yes, you all, all of us want to have our stuff, um, whatever you write, you want as many people to read as possible. That's, uh, that, that's what makes it worth the effort, that people enjoy it. But not chasing clicks like no like fuck that like i i think they're they're probably in this today's media environment there is some of that for sure i wouldn't ever try to tell people otherwise but those of us who are are traditionally trained journalists we follow the story and if the story happens to be lebron it gets a lot of readers great but if it happens to be about the 15th man i did a feature on jordan bell at one point jordan bell who's barely clinging to a spot in the league right now because i thought jordan bell was interesting as a guy who was trying to learn warriors culture right i did a story on thon makur um <laughs> thon maker as people to refer to him um not because he was going to drive clicks i just thought there was an interesting story there that's how we operate so to to the root of your question noah if if somebody I don't know who gave this blind quote to the outlet that you're talking about, I I think that um, you as a reporter or as an editor you have a responsibility to find the the stories that you think are worthwhile and will resonate, and you you go for whatever um whatever however it's defined to you, and then you have to just believe that anything that's a good enough story that you believe in readers will. Um, will will be engaged by it, and if the outlet at some point concludes that those kinds of stories aren't resonating with their specific audience, okay, well then they move on. Um, is that what happened here? I couldn't tell you. I haven't talked to a single person or asked a single person within my previous employer's uh, domain why exactly they came to the conclusion that they did or decided to end BR Mag. I don't know. I don't know the specifics of it. I don't really care. I mean, it's it happens um, in this day and age in the media, probably in a lot of industries, but certainly in media, things are really fluid. I, I have I have watched certain sites 
build up their sports writing staff, tear it down, lay everybody off, build it back up again a couple of years later, then pivot to video, tear it all down, build it back up again. I, I, it, it's, it goes this way. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised by anything anymore where it regards me or anywhere I've worked or anybody else, any other places. Um, that's, that's just the, the, the era we live in. And these are, you know, these are uh, pretty tumultuous times in general, but for, for, for media and sports media, um, you have to expect the unexpected things, things change very quickly. This episode of Rejecting the Screen is brought to you by 1010. Now you may have read about this in the New York Times or in Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10, T-E-N, 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. And when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, T-E-N-T-E-N, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check it out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. The piece you wrote this week in the New York Times, saying goodbye to the trips of a lifetime, that really resonated with people. It's a touching piece about many things regarding NBA travel, but mostly about the relationship between you and your father. I want to dive into that, but first, something you just said. You talked about how writers aren't interested in chasing clicks. So how do you deal with the tension then, and how would you advise writers in your position to deal with the idea that the bosses do want the clicks? How do you deal with the friction that exists between you, who wants to write the best story, and the bosses who say, well, that's all well and good, you want to write about Jordan Bell, but I need a headline here? No, it's uh, Adam, it's, it's a really great question. It's a very fair question, and I think that probably exists everywhere now. In fact, I, I know for sure, because I have friends at at newspapers where I remember when they first were able to start quantifying this stuff and being really attentive to it, that the pressure started to, to come a little bit more, not pressure, pressure is maybe the wrong one. There's a hyper awareness of it. And I'll even say this once I got to, so when I was at the New York times, the times there were analytics there somewhere. I wasn't privy to them. I had no idea how many people were reading or not reading my stories. was a most emailed list. And like during Lynn's sanity, all my stories ended up on the most emailed list. And I got a real (laughs) kick out of that. I didn't know what the numbers were. I just knew that I was up there with like Maureen Dowd's latest column and, (laughs) you know, uh, investigation about unwarranted wiretaps or whatever. And there's my Jeremy Lynn story. I'm like, wow, that's freaking cool. Um, But I didn't know what the actual traffic numbers were. When I got to Bleacher Report, they had a very public counter on every single story. And my first, the first thing I told them was, I, I kind of find this as, as a reporter, I find this kind of distasteful because it sends the message that, that this is what we care about and it's not what I care about. So, you know, I hope you guys don't have this forever. And they said, well, that's, that's nice. The, thanks for your input, but um, <laughs> this is the way the site is built. And it was stayed for, for years. And in the years that, that it was still there, it did go away over the course of my time there. In the years that it was there, I found myself getting like kind of addicted to it because we all want, you know, I, I can sit here and, and say it, with with absolute sincerity and in my most high-minded uh, thoughts that I just want to write good stories and I hope they resonate and I'm not going to chase clicks. And I don't. But when I write that story that I thought I pursued for all the right reasons, does it bother me if I, if not enough people are reading it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do I get a kick out of it when it when the numbers keep going up quickly? Yes, of course. Like we all want validation just not for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. I want to know that the story that I thought was really interesting or really cool or this 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 analysis that I did that was totally unique in my mind. You want the validation that other people thought it was just as interesting and and appreciated it. So um 
when when the when BR actually did away with the the public counter and I didn't have the numbers anymore, now I'm like texting my editors, going like, "Hey, uh, what's my reader count? How's it how's it doing?" Um, and also partially too, because listen, we all get into this sometimes too. Noah alluded to it earlier. I won't go into detail, but yes, there are days where you think, "Man, I really wish they'd push this a little more." I'm not sure if they're promoting mm-hmm. this enough. That happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at those times, you think, "Was it me? Was 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 were my instincts wrong? Was the story just not that interesting?" Because the last one I did kind of like this did well. Why isn't this one doing well? Is it something that is being, is it because of the way it's being programmed? Is it somebody else's fault? <laughs> you know, I love this story. It should be doing better, you know, and that's our egos, right? And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. But so the the the, the being a, able to quantify all this stuff, being able to, to track the numbers kind of fucks with your head a little bit mm-hmm. because it can warp um, the way you, it's not that it warp, it would ever warp the stories I pursued. What it did work was how I felt about them once they were published. It 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 if 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 a story didn't do as well as I thought it should have, then I start to like get down and like, you know, man, I, I guess it wasn't that good. And and um and that's ridiculous. We, we shouldn't measure ourselves that way. It's hard not to. The Times piece. Um, and thank you for for bringing it up, Adam. The Times piece. Well, you know, obviously that was deeply personal as well as professional. It was a story I really had wanted to tell for a while. I mentioned a, a, um, some version of it to Steve Kerr on my podcast last year um, when Steve came on my podcast six weeks after my, my dad died. And I said to Steve at the end of the podcast, by the way, I, I don't want this to get awkward, but you know, I want to thank you. You, know, you guys being an incredible team and in the finals five straight years, man, I got all these free trips home and I got to see my parents and it actually got me to, you know, the chance to see, <clears throat> to see my dad for the last time. Um, just a few weeks ago. And, um, so Steve and I talked about it and I don't think I was all that coherent because <laughs> it was still very raw and it had always still been in my head that I, I, I want to come back to this. I want to come back to this idea that this beat and the travel that it involves and as, as, um, as stressful and as tiring as it can be. And especially my years as a beat writer for 16 years from the Lakers for seven to the Knicks for nine, like it's heavy, heavy travel. And it takes me away from my wife and daughter and it, and it takes me a, a, away from just day-to-day life at home. Um, but it, it, it still enabled me to then have all these other connections or, or keep up connections with friends and family around the country. And so I've always, that had always been something that, that I was really, really aware of. And so with my dad, it just kind of, it, it, it obviously brought that into a sharper focus. And I thought there was more to say about it. And I, I wasn't sure when or where I would write that I just knew that it was kind of in the back of my head that this is something I still, I feel the need to write about. I feel the need to, to expand on. And when Mark Stein, my good buddy at the time said, Hey, I need to take a week off from the basketball newsletter. Do you want to be the, the, the guest writer this week? Um, it was the first thing I thought to do. And again, uh, like, I don't know the numbers. I know that it got a lot of great feedback. I got a nice note from Randy Archibald, the sports editor at the Times, um, that he he said the like the, the engagement or, or reaction to it was really strong, and um, that's great. Again, I don't know how many people read it. Um, the gratifying thing for me is that uh, a lot of people did react and engage, and the, some of the stories I heard from people, friends who I didn't hadn't heard from for a long time, or even just random, you know, just strangers on Twitter or through LinkedIn, people find you <laughs> to send you a note. And they tell you how this sparked a conversation with their own parents. And like, this, I've just gotten some really moving um, feedback to it. And it's, it's been amazing. So there's their young writers or journalists who may be listening is the lesson. It doesn't matter one fucking bit how many people click that story. I don't know and I don't care. But I have rarely felt as gratified and in reader reaction to a piece as I did from that one. And it was a lot of people. So Maybe that means there were big traffic numbers. I don't know. I but it I, it it's that it resonated with a lot of people is the thing, um, and so that was uh, that was fantastic. And, and thanks again to to Stein and to the Times for for giving me that space. What was your conversation like with your mom after she read it? Um, you know, I wrote a a, a long Facebook post about my dad. Um, last year, and, and I borrowed a couple bits of it. I plagiarized myself um, for the for the Times column. So some of it she knew, um, but but the framing of it as as kind of blending in the NBA and the travel and all that and the Warriors um, was new to her. No, she 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 was, you know, in my family, nobody's like 
overly expressive. You can even tell like from my dad, like the emails that I quoted of his in, in the piece, that's about as expressive as he would get. Like, he's not the kind of person who's going to bring you and go like, ah, come here, son. I'm so proud of you. Like he's, he, he wasn't that kind of, um, but he, he, so he would have to be an email where he would like say, express some of that. And it's not that he wasn't warm in person also. It's just, we don't, <laughs> Beck family doesn't say a lot, uh, in detail and out loud, but, um, my, my mom reacted in the way I, I would, uh, hope she would i think she was really appreciative and, and moved by it and and you know some of her friends had seen it as well and so um it was nice yeah one of the things that stood out to me in the piece was that that idea of an adult while well, you're in adulthood your your parent being proud of you as you're as you're talking about right now like this this idea we don't think about that enough i think and especially as parents as we all are it's weird i know growing up um, I figured oh, I'd reach a certain age and not care about my my parents being proud of me. So I know for me personally, like that's what what really stood out, and I appreciated you writing that. The other thing that that you hit on that I really wanted to get across, I know Dave McMiniman and I talk about this a lot. That almost all my relationships in life now, as I've gotten older, are some way, shape, or form through basketball. You then add on when you're a basketball writer just now you further relationships and they're even deeper. I'm just curious if, if you could speak to the idea that you have all of these relationships now that you've built up over time with fellow media members and, and basketball writers, how it's just different than even how people cover other sports and, and, and other subjects. Yeah. You know, we, we really are our own little community. Um, and you know, all of the NBA media and M NBA people in general. I mean, I, there is, it's a very closed network, really. Like when you think about it, 30 teams, 30 GMs, 30 coaches, 450 players, any number of scouts and other executives. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people, but it is a closed system and there's some coming and going. And then there's the media that cover it. And so we're all kind of traveling the same corridors, right? Um, hitting the same cities, trading rec restaurant recommendations, um, bemoaning certain airports, um, and so it is, it's its own weird little, uh, fraternity slash sorority, right? Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, um, but it's a really great group. I don't know how the NFL or major league baseball or any other sport, any other league operates, but when I'm on NBA Twitter and, you know, people can see it, fans, readers, listeners, kids, you can, you can see it. Like it's a pretty collegial group. We have fun and we goof on each other and we cheer for each other and we tweet out each other's stories when we see something we really like. Um, and so we we are our own little community and it's and it's really cool. And it's and it's you know, that's across all media companies too, right? Like we often know each other. When you're an NBA beat writer, you know the NBA beat writers from the competition, whether it's in the same city or across the country, better than you know your own coworkers most of the time. Because right. say the nine years I was at the Times. I met Tyler Kepner five, six times. Tyler Kepner, the, the phenomenal baseball national writer for the Times. Like Tyler and I were teammates, but I didn't really know Tyler Kepner that well. Um, I, I I knew, you know, Michael Lee much better. I knew Sam Amick much better. I knew like any number of other NBA people. And so it's it is um, and that's by the way, it was I did not shoehorn this into the into the, the the piece last week about my dad and the nba and travel but it certainly had it on my mind too one of the things this year with the pandemic and us all not traveling that's what we miss i can't remember the last time i got to see michael lee and hang out or get dinner with sam amick or you know any of my other friends around the league you know like i like all these people um we love all getting together when everybody's at summer league or all-star weekend the finals it's a blast. And it's not just because of the basketball. It's because socially, like these are, these are all, you know, people I love hanging out with. Um, and so that's, that's another thing that, that I feel like, you know, has been kind of taken away, you know, from us. It's, it is not the most important thing by far among all the things that have been impacted during the pandemic, but, um, and travel can also be wearing, but, uh, I miss, I miss, you know, the pregame schmoozing, you know, in any given arena, where we're all standing on the court a couple hours before game time and it's reporters and coaches and GMs and scouts. And we're all just, you know, gossiping and, you know, just shooting the shit. So like that, you know, missing all that stuff and the Carmel popcorn at Barclays center. I really miss the Carmel popcorn at Barclays. Center. <laughs> good. Sure. Good we can get to that. There. Good snacks there. <laughs>
dangerous spending that much time there. dangerous so that's the relationship between media members but what's going on with the friction between the players and media and how is this going to get fixed i mean the obvious reference point here would be Kyrie, who a couple hours before we sat down to tape this podcast in fact did media with the nets beat writers and it sounds like and i was i was very um distracted at the time with other other stuff um but i did not so i didn't read all of it but i saw a lot of really nice tweets it sounds like Kyrie was fantastic and was really um engaging and and um friendly and appreciative of the questions and self-effacing and and all that so um hopefully that situation's resolved i don't know why Kyrie took the stance he did in the first place i'm not entirely clear on that probably doesn't matter at this point if everything's going to be good from here on out um I don't think Noah that there's that there's some growing divide. I think that these things flare up from time to time with an individual here or an individual there. I think there's also just a an ongoing somewhat necessary tension with the fact that look, you know, our job is to write about and talk about the good and the bad and the ugly. And um there're going to be times when that becomes uncomfortable. Um Look, I covered Shaq and Kobe for seven years and I, I saw the full spectrum and there were days where it was a lot of fun to be around that team. And there were days where it was very unpleasant. And there were days when they did not want to see my face or any of our other faces for, you know, for quite a while. Um, it happens, but, you know, we're all adults. <laughs> we're all people with jobs to do. And most people get it. Most players are, are to, you know, they totally get that. Now, would do they all have their own ideas and not just players, coaches, organizations, everybody might have their own idea about where the line should be. Like, well, how come we have to talk this many times? Or how come the locker room's open for this amount of time? Or how come the locker room's open at all? And that's something that becomes a discussion now and then. Why are there all these people in here? <laughs> um, that's just part of, of the job and it's part of what we do. And it's, and it's, and it's just the, the um, relationship that we, we all navigate, media and league. But it has always been, the NBA has always been um, – very much uh, a, a pro media league. Things happen now and then, but the NBA has going back through all the David Stern years and certainly in, into the Adam Silver era, they understand and value what um, media coverage means to them and why the access is important and why it needs to be sustained and protected. And yeah, sometimes things are going to happen. You know, the, the league fined Kyrie Irving for, for violating the rules, for violating media rules. They find him and the Nets. They held the, the organization responsible as well because it's in the player contract to talk to the media on a semi-regular basis. Right. And he, did, he didn't just blow off a day. He blew off like a week and indicated he had no interest in doing it at all. And those fines could have kept coming and could have escalated. So whether that motivated him or whether he just got in a better mood, who knows? But I think it, it speaks to something that you went pretty in depth with, with Andre Iguodala and on Full 48 podcast. and. I would assume that a version of the podcast, if not the 448, is coming back as well. It will not be the full 48. I do not own the podcast or the name. So there will be a podcast with okay. me featured prominently on it uh, sometime soonish under the SI banner. Okay, good. So you had Andre Godala on, and it was a pretty in depth conversation. And then a few weeks ago, Richard Deitch, the media reporter for The Athletic, did a QA with him. And Andre Godala is, is looked at as someone who gets it. But then listening to your podcast conversation and then seeing the, the Q&A with Richard, I thought, why? Well, I think he really missed it because he said, now you've got Twitter journalists breaking this news, all this news. And I said on our podcast with Adam, I said, it's not Twitter journalists. That, that's Woj and Shams and others journalists breaking news on Twitter. There's such confusion. And I want to know maybe if, if you could talk to where this comes from, just the confusion from players, it seems, between Twitter voices and actual journalists on Twitter. So I do have a concern um, that I think was what you're alluding to. And it was, mm -hmm. yeah, it was a conversation I had with, with Igadala on my pod last year. My concern is that we we are living in very noisy times where it regards the media and when we say the media 
what are we talking about? And when and if a player lashes out at the media, what is he talking about? Is it the the beat writers who cover each team, a handful in each city, mostly newspaper people? Is it the TV people in those cities? Is it talk radio guys? Is it Skip Bayless or Colin Cowherd or Stephen A. Smith? Is it the people yelling at you or mocking you and saying mean things on Instagram or Twitter? Because I think it's all of it. I think when a player is feeling a bit under siege because of something that they did or said or a portrayal of them, and it's all this noise, that noise is not specifically or solely mainstream media that covers the NBA. It's not the NBA beat. It's not us. It's not the hundred and something writers who are part of the Pro Basketball Writers Association. Um, It's a lot of things. It's all of it. And my concern as somebody who's covered this league now going into my 24th season and who started at a time that was way pre-Twitter and even kind of pre-internet, that was earlier days of the internet and pre-24-7 shout fests on TV and pre-proliferation of all the other where places where we can do shout fests because there are a lot of them, pre-podcasts for that matter. Mm-hmm. There is so much media now. There are so many voices. There are so many people, whether they're shouting or simply are just adding to this loud chorus because there are so many voices, period. I think it's kind of overwhelming. It's overwhelming for me and I live and work in it. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine for the players trying to, you know, separate what's what, who's legit, who's not, who's a mainstream journalist, who's just a, who's a flamethrowing TV personality. Who's a columnist. Who's just some rando on Twitter. It's hard. That's a lot of clutter to cut through. And all, you know, if you're in, in the, the eye of that storm is what the fuck? Everybody's screaming at me. Everybody's calling me this and that, and they're portraying me this way. You don't, at that point, you are not distinguishing between some 30 year veteran reporter. Who's done it all very responsibly and fairly, and maybe didn't even weigh in on this issue. You're not distinguishing between that person and the random screamers on Twitter who are out there just to troll you and just to be jerks. It all blends together. And that to me is the dangerous part for us who cover this league because it's really important for the players and others to make that distinction and to understand like, I'm not the, I'm not who you're lashing out at. I will even say guys, I'm not even sure that Kyrie Irving is mad at us. The, the, the traditional NBA media. I think he's mad at a lot of other stuff and in ways that he was portrayed. And it may not have been any of us who actually cover the league on a day-to-day basis. It may simply be the rest of the noise. Those other, those other voices out there. Howard will tell you that life has been stressful. He won't lie about it. It's been stressful Mm -hmm. for him. It was stressful for Adam. It's been stressful for me. Everybody is stressed under normal circumstances. And this year has challenged all of us to the nth degree. And that's why you need headspace. The daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations is an easy to use app. And it's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So actual science is at work here. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits 600,000 five-star reviews and over 60 million downloads. And Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. So even if you're like me and you can't get into the, this is going to do this at the same time every single day, you can still find the time to do it because Mm -hmm. we all deserve to be happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA, headspace.com slash locked on NBA, free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. It's the best deal being offered right now, Adam. Head to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today. So to that point, especially with this younger generation coming up, how do you earn trust with them? What does that look like? You know, all you can do is handle yourself professionally 
and fairly every day. And it doesn't mean you won't still get wires crossed. I mean, I listen, all of us think we've all been uh, a, a portrait of professionalism and fairness, right? Like, you know, we, we make our mistakes and you, you hope you recognize when you do. I crossed up Kobe at, at points. I got screamed at pretty badly by him on, on a couple occasions. Same with Shaq, same with others along the way. And I use those guys as examples, not to name drop it, because like that was those were my formative years on the NBA. Those those seven years were really instructive. That's where when I made my mistakes, they they could they might be a big mistake because I was dealing with guys who were really big in the game. Um, and all you can do is, you know, report and write as um, professionally and as authoritatively and as fairly and as completely as possible. And then you walk in that same gym the next day. And if you screwed something up, you're there to, to face it or to explain, Hey, why, why'd you write that? Well, because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, but that's not what happened. What happened was, well, why didn't you tell me that yesterday? Um, <laughs> or, oh yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, there's a detail I missed, or you're right. That wasn't the best word. I mean, I've, I've had players correct me on, on, on verbiage before. Like, well, you could have said it this way. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Um, I mean, Sha- Shaq used to always take shots at Kobe, veiled or otherwise, by referring to ill-advised shots. Guys taking ill-advised shots, and if Shaq was saying that, he usually meant Kobe. Um, sometimes Eddie Jones, my first year out there, and um, so I, my first year on the Knicks, I wrote a story where I alluded to Jamal Crawford taking ill-advised shots, and I walked in the gym the next day. They were practicing somewhere. I think we were in California somewhere. Um. <laughs> and I walk in the gym when it was time to let media in wherever they were practicing some little college or something. And I walked by a table that Jamal had was just sitting on top of. And he goes, ill-advised shots, huh? <laughs> um, and it was like, I used that phrase because that's the one that stuck in my head from like, that was like Shaq's pet phrase about when, when guards were just kind of jacking it. And I think Jamal was that day. <laughs> Jamal disagreed. Um, that's fine. These things happen. Um, Anyway, your question was about building trust. I did, I just think you just keep doing it as 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 best as you can the right way and keep the lines of communication open. That's the other thing I've learned along the way though too though. Sometimes the hardest thing for me, I'm somebody who like I'm all about res- resolution and closure. I don't want to know months later that you think I screwed up or said something wrong or wrote something wrong. Like tell me at the time. I want to have it out. Like I got it wrong? Tell me. We can argue about it. And I can tell you why I wrote it the way I did and if I'm wrong and you can explain why I'm wrong. I'll probably tell you, you know what? You're right. I'll remember that for the next time. Um, but that's it. Like you, you, it's, it's having the open lines of communication and that's, you know, that's, that's with front offices. That's with coaches. I've had, I've, I have, I have had those kinds of conversations with every layer of, of um, every layer you can imagine in this league at the team and league level. Is today's environment much more difficult now to keep those lines of communication open since you can't actually physically show up the next day and see someone in the locker room. Yes, absolutely. Um, This is again, disclaimers to the nth degree that these are minor concerns in the grand scheme of things amid this pandemic, but our jobs are a lot harder now for a lot of reasons. And mostly because this, this job's about, as we've just been discussing for the last, 40 minutes. This job is about human relationships. It's about trust and rapport, getting to know people, figuring out the rhythms of a team. If you're, if you're a beat writer covering a a team, figuring out personalities, figuring out um, how to navigate things along the way. And if you don't have that daily contact where you can see each other, it's just hard. And I'm sure your listeners are probably thinking, yeah, I'm having that same problem with you know, my own job because we're all on zoom meetings and like interpersonal relationships, even within a corporate environment are probably breaking down or Mm -hmm. becoming more tense. It's hard. Everybody sees that now. I think everybody can see that. Um, but yeah, it's really important for me to be able to walk in a gym and, and have those conversations and also just have casual conversations. You know, the, the most important thing when you're a reporter is to have the majority of your conversations, not be with the notebook out and the recorder going, it should be just conversations. It should be just chit chat because that's how you build understanding. And, um, and so having that taken from us right now is, is, is definitely really hard. Then the idea that we're going to be covering an entire season potentially this way is it's tough. I do think it affects, um, coverage and I think it affects relationships. And I I think it's harder to get, to get the really good stories because you're not there to observe and have those conversations in person. I'm going to try to spin this. 
are veteran reporters in a better situation because they have the contacts made already with so many coaches, executives, and PR staffs that they might be able to get those one-on-ones or the extra nuggets or keep up a relationship, whereas the younger reporters don't have those relationships yet, and then they're just on Zoom with everybody else? I mean, there's probably some of that, Noah. There's probably, I think there is some truth to that. But but th- I look at it this way. Um, if If I'm working on a story and I really want to get LeBron James, get his perspective on something, I know from prior experiences with him that if they come through town, if the Lakers come through town, I can wait for the scrum to subside. And I could walk up and say, hey, man, I got this other thing I want to throw at you. You got a minute. And he'll say, yeah, go for it. And I can get that one-on-one with him briefly. And that's 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 a that's the advantage that you get sometimes from being the veteran reporter who's been around a long time, right? There's a relationship. I can't just text LeBron. <laughs> I don't know if anybody can. I'm sure somebody can. I can't. Um, but um, And if I try to go through any official channels, to try to get him on the phone or a zoom call or something. Haven't tried it yet. Might sometime in the next few months, Mm -hmm. but I, that, that to me from, from the, just from the start, that has a a much less chance of success than the walk up to him after practice or a game after the scrum has subsided and just say, Hey, can I get a minute? Cause he knows me well enough to, to know that I usually come with to him with something thoughtful and and different. And, and so he's been really great about that over the years. So that that's something, those are the kinds of things that you can't do in this kind of environment. You know, you talk about the mistakes you could make because you get something wrong. What's interesting is nowadays there's also all this information that's coming to you that's purposefully wrong or with an agenda in mind, whether it's from agents or executives smokescreen stuff for the draft or they want a better position a free agent of theirs or you know get a coach hired or what have you i mean there's so many things that go into this how do you find the signal and the noise as far as the uh, false information or at least agenda driven information is concerned adam I've, I've been fortunate in that for the last however many years of of my career doing you know you know covering the NBA, I've mostly been doing features and analysis and I'm not doing a lot of news breaking. That's not my charge. That's not, that's not the job description for me right now. And so I'm not in as vulnerable a position to have to, to deal with some of the spin or the misdirection or any of the, uh, you know, the kinds of stuff you're, you're alluding to. And it all definitely exists. Now I talk to a lot of people just like anybody else covering this league does. And sometimes people just bring stuff up. There's it's it's you know it's a very gossipy league, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. You you hear things, um, and I, you know if it's if it were something that was newsworthy enough that I thought, oh man, I've I have to pursue this. I would be you know derelict in my job to not. Then okay, I'll go check it out. But if it's like oh, I hear this team really is chasing this player, they want to make a trade, or this guy. They've soured on this guy. If I felt really confident in it, or if I had checked it out, you know, maybe I'll tweet it or whatever. But I'm not writing those those newsers. I'm not writing those. You know, that's that's not my primary function as an NBA writer right now. And I'm happy for that because there is a lot of nonsense to sort through, and there is a lot of of uh, landmines in that area. So then, who do you give that to? Um. I've done that occasionally. Um, sometimes I hear something and it's on somebody's beat and it's somebody, and if, if, I, if it's somebody who's a good friend, I'll say, hey, listen, I don't have anything, I, I'm, I can't do anything with this or I'm not really that interested in doing it with this. It's not, it's not really my thing, but I heard this, you know, if you want to go chase it. And so I've done that. Yeah, how, how much news ends up getting out there because of things like that? Things like, like one reporter telling another reporter instead? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, probably not a lot. I mean, um, you know, and, and these, and these were things that weren't, you know, like if, if it were like really important news, obviously I'd want to break that for my own organization, but, um, but also every organization has its own priorities too. So, um, it, I, 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 th- I think, 
you know, what's what's funny, Noah, is that there are things that sometimes we gossip about. So there'll be some open secrets. And sometimes it's funny when you, you're part of one of those open secrets and it, and it find, or, or you did just came to you and like, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody's been talking about this. Oh, OK. Well, I guess I was the last one to know in this case, which happens. Um, and you think, huh, nobody's written about this. Why hasn't anybody written about this? And mm-hmm. so usually it's because it's something that maybe, you know, maybe it's it's uh, not quite as um, definitive as somebody who who started the rumor mm-hmm. uh, would would have would have uh, <laughs> portrayed it as. Yeah, I mean, you just never know. And sometimes it's some really dicey stuff. There's there there have been some dicey things that have made the rounds, and um, they're the kinds of things that you better be damn well sure. You better have uh, you know it it on lockdown that it's that it's absolute fact before you run with it. But um, as I say, it's a gossipy league. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I love having journalism conversations with Howard, and it's fun to actually have one on the podcast. And here's one for you from from recently, Howard. So the other day, Jared Dudley was on Fox Sports Radio, and he said to Jason McIntyre, "James Harden will be traded in the next ten days. He'll be a, <laughs> he'll be a Sixer." Okay, so that's a current player in the league saying in ten within ten days, James Harden will be a Sixer. What should we make of that as the general public? And if he's wrong, then should he get hammered just like a journalist would get hammered? <laughs> um, how many days ago was it? This was like two days ago. So he's got like eight days left to be yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Clock's ticking. All right, Jared Clock's Dudley. Ticking. Jared Dudley, you're on notice, my man. You better have this one down. Otherwise, the, the masses will be coming at you. The masses come at Jared Dudley pretty hard anyway. Like if they he, follow, he, wel- he welcomes it. He welcomes it. He, yeah. he loves it. Um, Jared Dudley, uh, he, he might be uh, all NBA first team uh, Twitter presence mm-hmm. um, because he says what's on his mind and he doesn't mind. And he doesn't mind poking the bear a little bit or messing with people a little bit too. Jared's also really smart and I think is, is really well networked and, and liked around the league. So if he says that, there's probably a good chance that he's heard something legit. On the other hand, it's a really gossipy league, as I said. And so, you know, the possibility that your agent who might maybe works for the same agency, I don't even know. Like, I don't know who rep reps Jared Dudley. And I don't know if there's any relationship to James Harden's re- re- uh, representation or whatever. I'm just I'm just saying hypothetically, you might hear things. Players definitely hear things through their agents and their agencies um, or through their PR people or whatever. And so then you you think you you definitely know something. So that's how these these things go around because um, players start talking, you know, and then they talk with each other. Oh man, my agent tells me this guy's getting shit. So might be true. Might be, might, might be that somebody jumped the gun. Might be somebody heard something a little bit wrong. Might be a game of telephone, which is a game that probably does not mean anything to any listeners under 40. (laughs) Uh, Um, No, come on. I'm I'm under 40. I don't know it. Okay. All right. Under 35. (laughs) Um, but, but it may just be one of those where it just kind of got distorted along the way. Um, now if Jared Dudley's right, who knows, maybe we nominate him for the Pulitzer. Maybe he gets a PBWA award for breaking news. Uh, I don't know, but if he's wrong, watch out, Jared. Howard, you wrote the awesome piece about when KD and Kyrie Irving decided to join forces and, and play together. And I'm curious for that piece individually here wasn't something where it was you were the first one just boom out of the gate here i have this nugget of information but your story told the story which was so fascinating to so many i'm curious how did that all come about so as as we were talking about i'm not sitting there trying to break the news that is a really tough game to be in and and my i tip my head every time to the guys who who do that it is (laughs) <laughs> brutal and and uh and it involves uh, uh way too many um waking hours attached to the cell phone um what i've wanted to do what i've tried to do over the years is let's find the most interesting things that happened whether it's in free agency or trade or whatever and and just try to get a little bit more behind you know well how did this how did this evolve how, how did this come to be um the story will break. People will go nuts about it. Twitter will blow up. Everybody will will you know get their 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 hands into it, and they'll everybody will analyze it to death. And then my thought immediately is, okay, so how did they get there? And so with Durant and Kyrie choosing Brooklyn, when everybody, including me, thought uh, 
that they were bound for the other New York team, the Knicks, it's, well, well, how did that happen? Where, where did they veer? And so, um, so I have the luxury. I, I do want to make clear it's a luxury. I have the luxury to not have to do some quick hit, either cat, you know, follow the news or analyze it immediately on the fly, make some declarative statement within five minutes of the freaking news breaking. I don't have to do that. Thank you to my editors who I've worked with who have said, listen, this is going on. We all know what's going on. Um, make your calls. Let us know when you find out in the next couple hours or tomorrow or whatever. Let's write something maybe in a couple of days after things settle down. I like being second wave on some of these things or maybe even third wave. Um, and then come in with, with something that hopefully hasn't already been, been written or said. Um, and so that was one of those cases when, you know, I, I made some calls. I knew a few people who were plugged into that, um, into, into that whole situation, the way it evolved and got some other Intel about when Kyrie and, and KD had first started having these discussions and when things changed. And that was the story that, that resulted. Who do you read? <laughs> Um, everybody at this point, I mean, it's, I mean, if you could see, I wouldn't, I w- if I, if I tried to do like the share screen, it would like break this whole connection because of the number of tabs I have open and they're from the athletic and SI and ESPN and the New York times and GQ, the Atlantic. Those are probably not about the NBA. Um, there's a lot of tabs guys just a lot of tabs. I probably should just close it and start over, but I, I just, it's that fear that I've, I've missed something important that I should have had there. I saved the pocket all the time too. So like if my pocket were an actual pocket, it would have just like exploded by now. It would not be a pocket. It would just be a big torn piece of material. Um, mm-hmm. I've got these other programs that are supposed to like categorize and save all the t- open t- It's a disaster. I, it's, there's just, there's too much out there. Um, I don't, that, that's all, it's a hard one to answer for in part because there's so many writers that I admire that you, 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 the second you start talking about who you like to read, then you feel like you, you, you may have snubbed somebody who's a good friend. So, um, I'm, I'm going to weasel out of this one. Uh, I will just say that, um, one of the reasons I'm so thrilled to go to sports illustrated is that, you know, when I was a kid growing up on that magazine and I'll date myself badly here, but you know, like Frank DeFord, Frank DeFord mm-hmm. was the guy that was one of my first sports writing heroes because he just wrote so beautifully and I will, <laughs> I will never reach that level, but I loved Frank DeFord and I have two volumes here, two books of his that are compilations of, of some of his best stuff that I, are a great source of just kind of inspiration. Like I do think at least for me and I, I, and I would tell younger writers this, like, yeah, read the people that you really like and then try to figure out what you really liked about the way they told a story. And it's not to say to copy it, um, but you emulate it on some level where it gives you new ideas about how to tell a story or how to get into a story or the kind of details that matter to a story. Um, and Lee Jenkins was like this, you know, as, as, as well, like Lee was just such a beautiful writer and has had such deeply reported great features in SI before he left to go behind the Clippers iron curtain. Um, and I miss reading Lee's stuff and Chris Ballard and Scott Price Tom Verducci, you know, I'm straying from basketball a little bit for, for, for Verducci, but like, there's just like uh, so many phenomenal writers there that, um, whose stuff I've admired for years and years. And so, um, so now I've violated my whole thing about how I'm not going to name any names and just name some <laughs> names. Um, but, uh, I, but I, it, it's, you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there. I got a lot of friends at the athletic and they produce a lot of great stuff. Um, obviously friends still at the New York times and, and love reading them. So it's um, yeah, I would just, I, t- I, I just tell writers like find the, you know, the writers who, and it doesn't have to be sports writers, of course, and it doesn't have to be the NBA, even if you cover the NBA, but just identify the ones whose stuff speaks to you and then figure out why it does, or at least try to understand why it does. Cause I think that's the best clue to, to how to, to kind of evolve in your own writing. And you're joining at SI, Greg Bishop, who is as talented of a NFL writer, boxing writer. I mean, he, Greg is outstanding. My, for, my, my former New York Times colleague, Greg Bishop, in fact. Oh, right. True. Okay, so you named all these folks that you that you read. Uh, who won't you read? <laughs> um, so Okay, so you troll, see the headline trolls. and you're like, oh, wow, that's great. I'll read that. I, I won't read oh, the wait. troll. He wrote it? Absolutely not. She wrote it? Absolutely not. We'll not read it. Won't read the trolls. I won't read the haters, the haters. 
Um, I don't think there's anybody that I just wouldn't read. Uh, just but um, yeah, you know, there maybe some people you take more seriously than others. How about that? Understandable. My my last question actually was going to be something that you kind of touched on. So maybe it's Frank DeFord. But I was going to ask you that going back then, if you had one person to write the story of your lifetime, like the NBA story of your lifetime, who would you want to have written that story to read? Ooh, mm. wow. That's a, that's a really good one. Like, now you'll the, really offend someone by not. For sure. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you mentioned um, DeFord, and, and I, I, know, thought, I, I, I thought that might be the answer. No, I mean, it, it could very well be. And, like, and DeFord, by the way, like, you know, um, one of his famous stories on Larry Bird um, from back in the day is just, you know, like, go, go look up that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, DeFord was, was, was a, a generalist, as we say. He, he would write everything, all sports. So he wasn't an NBA guy by, by you know, he was never that, that narrow. Um, but he did one of the greatest stories ever on Larry Bird. Um, it, it might be DeFord. But like I think of just some of my other like the, the other other people whose work I've always admired, and, and this is going to sound like a big long SI thread, and I don't mean it to be, but Jack McCallum, obviously longtime SI writer, Jackie McMullen, who was at SI for a long time before you know uh, ESPN, and um, obviously she's been at Boston Globe, other places, but um, Lee Jenkins too, like the 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 the, the biggest NBA stories. Um, if, if you were or if you were saying one person to write that, like those are the people who. Um, immediately come to mind who have done those kinds of large scope stories before that have always pulled me in. Um, and so, yeah, um, probably, probably somebody off that list, some combination thereof, you know, Scott Price is another one who's a more of a generalist, but when Scott Price has dabbled in the NBA, like it's always must, must read. Um, and, um, so yeah, uh, a lot of, a lot of great, a uh, lot of great people to, a uh, lot of great footsteps to follow in. At some point, someone's gonna be saying the same thing: how to follow Howard Beck. We're all fortunate that no one's gonna have to do that for for quite some time. Howard, we really do appreciate it. Congratulations on the new gig. We're all looking forward to reading and hearing from you starting well this week. Appreciate that. Yeah, starting in a couple of days. Um, I'm uh, got some things in mind try to jump on it and, and get that out as, as quickly as I can um, or as soon as my editors want it. And yeah, uh, again, thrilled, honored, excited to get going and uh, honored to be back on the pod. Thanks. This was, uh, this was fantastic. You guys, uh, you, you always manage to hit me with the questions that make me go, all right, I got to think about this one, but I got to, I got to sound smooth as if I'd already <laughs> thought about this and processed it for years. These are things that have been percolating in my brain forever, but I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to start answering before I even know where it's going to go and hope that at some point my brain kicks it and catches up to my mouth. So thank you guys for keeping me on my toes. You're the best. Thanks, pal. <laughs> Thanks guys. So Howard said he was honored to be back on the podcast. He's actually our only repeat guest on rejecting the screen. That's not true. Well, Don McLean. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a shot. Yeah. At, that's a shot at a former NBA's most improved player. Yeah, award winner. Howard, Howard is a, a fascinating guy to me because he just puts so much thought into everything he says. His work is like that. When you talk to him and I only know him from the podcast and I really meant it. No, I, I have to tell you I saw all the responses he was getting from that saying goodbye to the trips of a lifetime piece in the New York Times, which I can't recommend enough. And it was just because it it does resonate. It feels like it was a Facebook post that a friend had written, obviously mm-hmm. eloquently, way more eloquent than any of my friends that I have on, on Facebook, as you know pretty well, Noah. But the the idea, though, that he's able to write this thing and it just it's on a subject that was so interesting. You would have thought someone would have even discussed it before because it comes up all the time. It's like, I'm so grateful to have this job because guess what? When the Warriors win, I get to go home and see my dad. And if you talk to writers and you talk to people covering teams or covering the league, those are the things they say. They talk about that all the time. That's like a communal response, but yet somehow no one had ever written about it or at least in a way which could touch so many other people where they could understand where he was coming. It hits differently, makes you feel differently when you're writing about 
because I got to go home and see my dad and it happened to be the last time I got to see my dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved mm-hmm. covering the finals when LeBron was in it all those, those four years in Miami because I didn't stay in a hotel and I got to stay with my friends, Jay and Carla, who I used to live with in New York. That was great. Or when you'd go up to Boston and I got to stay with my buddy, Ben. Great. So that you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to stay in a hotel and you, you see your friends. That is one of the, if not the best part of traveling is, you know, when you're away from your family, then mm-hmm. you're on the road and you're seeing, you, you feel like you're still part of a family. And, and, and as he said, it's the same with the beat writers around the country and so many different journalists from so many different outlets, having those big group dinners or catching up with somebody one-on-one that's, it, it, it hurts not to be able to do that. And I know it hurts the, the folks who are not traveling as, as much as they used to in any profession at this point. But we're proud of Howard at Howard Beck on Twitter. Continue to follow him and you'll be able to hear him on something on the SI podcast network. And you'll be reading him at Sports Illustrated sometime soon. For everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On NBA, five days a week. The season previews are rolling out and they're outstanding. So make sure you're subscribed to Locked On NBA and you'll hear from us. You'll hear from the national voices and all the local voices because you get your team every single day. You get all 30 teams every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. Also, Hollinger and Duncan and Josh Lloyd's Locked On Fantasy Hoops. I've got my draft coming up this week, and Josh Lloyd is the first resource I will be going to. Frank, I mm-hmm. saw unable to join us on the program today, but you can mm-hmm. follow us on Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.